Today on Blue 58, our tour through the Packers' 2020 opponents continues with a team they don't see very often, a team they saw way too much of last year, and also the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are a team. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only Packers podcast of thepowersweep.com. Why did we include the word Packers there? I don't know. It just kind of slipped in there. We're talking Packers, and we will continue to talk Packers because this is, in fact, a Packers podcast. Hope you're well. Hope you're staying safe wherever you are. Hope you are maybe having an opportunity to get back to work. That seems to be happening for some people around the country and around the world. I realize we do have an international audience here, too. So just hope you're well wherever you are. Let's dive right in, or or rather maybe pick up where we left off. We're going to talk about three more of the Packers' opponents for 2020 on this episode And then we're going to dive into Chapter 9 of Take Your Eye Off the Ball. We're talking about how pass rushers beat offensive linemen and vice versa. So three more opponents the Packers will face in 2020 on this episode, starting with the Houston Texans. The Packers played them in Week 7. It's a noon kickoff. The Texans were a pretty decent 10-6 in 2019. That was good enough to get them first in the AFC South. They were just okay as a team, though, and they seem to have a little bit of a inconsistent identity week to week. They rank 16th overall by DVOA on offense, 26th on defense. Nothing really outstanding in either of those two categories, though they were 11th by DVOA uh, running the ball last year. Pretty pretty okay. They do have Deshaun Watson, who is one of my favorite non-Packers players to watch. I don't really know what it is about him. Uh, I like his throwing motion. It's a little bit unconventional, but he clearly gets the job done. I, I like watching him move around in the pocket. It's just he's a fun player to watch. So I guess I do kind of know what it is about him. This offseason, though, the Houston Texans parade of crazy continued. Bill O'Brien is doing Bill O'Brien type things. And when it comes to their most notable offensive addition, we've got to talk about one of the Bill O'Brien things that he did. One of them, the one we're going to talk about, is acquiring David Johnson from the Arizona Cardinals. I like David Johnson as a player, or the player he used to be, because his 2016 season was awesome. He rushed for almost 1,300 yards and 16 touchdowns on 293 carries, also had almost 900 receiving yards and four touchdowns on 80 catches, could do everything he asked of him. But since then... It's been a steady downhill trend, or rather a very steep drop off a cliff in 2017 because of an injury, and then basically he just hasn't gotten back to that level ever since then. He has played in just 30 of 48 games since the 2016 season. He missed 15 in 2017 due to injury, so we're not going to completely knock him for not being healthy or reliable or what have you. But In that time, he has managed just 1,308 rushing yards and nine touchdowns, another 883 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. Basically, in two seasons worth of games since 2016, he's almost produced exactly as much as he did in 2016. Now, for the privilege of having this player on their roster, the Texans only had to give up DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth-round pick. Sure, they did get a second-round pick back from the Cardinals as well, but really, That's a lot to give up, and there is a lot of stuff behind the scenes between Hopkins and O'Brien, too. That is part of the story here, but just in terms of compensation, the Texans got hosed again here. 
Johnson is also going to count $11.1 million against the cap this year and another $9 million against the cap next year. So good moves all around for the Houston Texans on offense. We can also mention they acquired Randall Cobb, signed him as a free agent this offseason. He got a three-year $27 million deal from the Texans. I don't know if he's worth that, but good for you, Randall Cobb, getting that deal. On defense, the Texans took that second-round pick that they got from the Cardinals and used it to select Ross Blacklock, the defensive tackle out of TCU. He was a popular mock draft target for the Packers, and if you're only going to end up drafting six players because you've traded many of your draft picks, it helps to get someone many people thought of as a first-round prospect, 40th overall. Maybe it's not the best route to go if you're only going to be able to select a few few guys going with a defensive tackle in a wide receiver heavy draft. I don't want to get into that part of it, but he seems to be thought of as a pretty good player and they did manage to get him with a with a pick that they didn't previously have. So at least already they're they're working to to add a little bit more to that David Johnson trade. So how should concerned should you be about the Houston Texans? It's always hard to tell. It feels like with the Houston Texans. They're a little bit like the Jacksonville Jaguars in that the Packers don't see them a whole lot. It's hard to have a really consistent feel for what they are as a team. And they just never seem to really get over the hump. Every few years, it seems like they make a push in the playoffs or really start to put things together, and then they just fall all over themselves. And that's kind of who the Texans were last year. They beat the Chiefs, but then lost to the Colts the next week. They beat the Patriots, but that comes just a week before they lose to the Denver Broncos and give up 38 points in the process. What are they as a team? It's not ever really clear. And I think it's hard to say what they are as a team right now in a different sort of way than I always say about teams in June. You just never know what you're going to get from the Houston Texans. And every year, just regardless of who they have on their roster, it seems like they could be 12-4 and four or 4-12. Four and 12. And last year, 10-6. and six. 10 and 6 just seems like the sort of team that they are forever. And I don't say that with any ill will towards the Texans because, like I said, they have one of my favorite players to watch outside the Packers into Sean Watson. Not sure how they match up with the Packers. I'm not really sure what to make of them. We're really going to have to wait and see here. And, and fortunately, we are going to have a little bit of a look at the state of the league before we get the Texans. By week 7 or so, we should have a pretty good idea who they are and who the Packers are as well. Next up, the San Francisco 49ers, who the Packers will play in week nine on Thursday night football. Oh boy. You know the San Francisco 49ers probably a lot better than you wish you did. They were 13-3 and last year, and they hammered the Packers twice en route to the Super Bowl and at NFC West Championship. They were good on both sides of the ball. Efficient, on offense, 7th overall by DVOA, 8th in passing, 12th in rushing. Great on defense, as the Packers knew very well. 2nd overall by DVOA there, 2nd against the paths, 11th against the run. Pretty solid team top to bottom here. Their most notable offensive addition here has to be Brandon Ayuk, uh, the wide receiver out of Arizona State. He was one of the guys I thought would be a great fit for the Packers, and he actually went one pick ahead of where the Packers ended up selecting Jordan Love in the first round. Ayuk goes 25th to the 49ers, and then Love goes to the Packers at 26th. 
There is a school of thought that suggests the Packers were actually trying to get up and get Brandon Ayuk only to have the 49ers select him 25th. If that is in fact the case, that is horrible mismanagement by the Packers because you wouldn't want to try to trade up until you absolutely knew that you could get the guy that you wanted. It would be kind of silly to trade up if there were two guys on the board that you wanted. Just wait and let that other guy come to you or trade back if it if it looks like it's not going to get to you or he's not going to get to you. I am not entirely convinced that that is what they were trying to do. I think it was Jordan Love this whole time, but I would have loved to see what they would have done had Ayuk and Love been on the board together at 26. And I hope they would have gone in the other direction. But that is a discussion for a different day. Their most notable defensive addition has to be defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw, one of their other first-round picks, or the other first-round pick uh, the 49ers made this year. He's considered one of the top defensive tackles in this class, if not the top overall one outright. The 49ers picked him with the pick they got from the Indianapolis Colts in exchange for DeForest Buckner, who was very expensive, and the 49ers didn't want to pay him. Maybe Kinlaw is only 75% as good as Buckner was last season right now, but they're going to be getting him at a fraction of the cost that they paid Buckner and essentially got him for free by just giving up Buckner to the Colts and getting that first-round pick in exchange. They turned a player they didn't want into a cheaper player that they did. That's pretty good, and John Lynch should get some credit for that, and I think he will. Um, So how concerned should you be as a Packers fan? I would say very concerned. This seems like another one of those games where the Packers are very likely to get hammered again on national television, which is never good to see. But the 49ers last year in both games just seemed to have the Packers number on both sides of the ball. And it's hard to see, given the additions the Packers made this year, how that's really going to change. I mean, what about the 49ers is going to be different that the Packers would be able to take advantage of the things that they don't do as well? in such a way that the the Packers will be able to to hang with them. I don't really know. Um, And I don't have a lot of confidence that they will. And again, this is June, and uh, things could change. There's a lot of different directions these two teams could go between here and now. But just here in June, uh, I wouldn't be super confident if I was going against the 49ers at any point this season if I was the Packers. Finally, the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Packers face them in Week 10. They get to relax a little bit after facing the San Francisco 49ers. Noon kick against the Jaguars, who were just 6-10 in 2019, last place in the AFC AFC South. Just another nondescript sort of season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not particularly great on offense or defense, but not like bottom seller bad, or bottom dweller bad either. Seller dweller, I think was the phrase I was going there, going for there. So not, not a great season for the Jaguars, as we so often say. Their most notable offensive addition kind of is could be one of two guys who are very similar in a lot of storyline sort of ways. Tyler Eifert or LaVisca Chenault. Uh, Eifert, the free agent tight end coming over from the Bengals. Chenault, the wide receiver prospect out of Colorado. Both have had some injury issues. Both were surprisingly affordable to acquire. Eifert, just two years, $9.5 million. Chenault, taken 42nd overall, thought of as a potential late first-round pick by some. Pretty good pickups either way if they turn out to be good players. Not hurting you super bad either way if they don't. Most notable defensive addition has to be C.J. Henderson for the Jaguars. He was the second corner taken in the draft. Almost a carbon copy of Jeff Okuda who was taken second overall out of Ohio State. Size-wise, but speed-wise, 
Henderson is significantly faster, about a tenth of a second faster in the 40-yard dash, so it just comes down to, I guess, what you want. Do you want the guy who's proven it on tape in Okuda, or do you want the elite, elite testing prospect, though Okuda also has uh, some elite testing attributes as well. Both good size. I think you'd be pretty happy for getting either of these guys, but the Jaguars get Henderson. How concerned should you be about the Jacksonville Jaguars? Again, who can tell? Who ever knows with the Jacksonville Jaguars? If you sit there at the start of the season and, and try to predict what they're going to be, general feeling just historically is that it's not going to be very good. But every so often they'll put together a season where they play people surprisingly tough. Game to game, they kind of have the same thing year in, year out. Week one of 2016, they played the Packers awful tough, though that was a bit of an odd start to that season for the Packers before they really turned it on down the stretch. But again, it's it just speaks to the point. You never really know with the Jaguars. So I think it's really tough to forecast here. Would tend to think uh, probably not going to be a world beater this year, given the, the instability they have seem to have each and every year at quarterback. But who knows? It's the Jaguars. Let's transition to taking our eyes off the ball with Pat Kerwin in his book, Take Your Eye Off the Ball. We are into chapter nine, all about rushing the passer, or if you're on offense, preventing people from rushing the passer. There are four things I would like to talk about from this book that he brings up. First, the plan, the pass rush plan, knowing what you're going to do when you lift your hand off the ground as the ball is snapped and try to go after the quarterback. Firing off the line, what are you going to do when that big husky offensive tackle reaches out his giant hands and tries to get them on you, preventing you from getting to the quarterback? What are you going to do? Do you have a plan? Do you have a counter move? Only the, I think, really most elite pass rushers seem to really perfect the plan. A lot of guys like to talk about their plans, But having a plan and executing a plan are two very different things. And I think right now, the Packers have three pass rushers with three different approaches to the plan. Zadarius Smith has a plan and seems to be able to execute the plan. He seems to be able to get to the quarterback in multiple ways. He can rush as a stand-up rusher and do multiple things there. He can put his hand on the ground and rush from there. He can kick inside and rush uh, as a defensive tackle. He can do it all, and he seems to be able to execute different things from each of those different spots. Then you have Preston Smith, who, while he is experienced enough and talented enough as a pass rusher to have a plan and be able to execute it some of the time, doesn't seem to always be able to execute on his own, which is why it's great that he has somebody like Zadarius Smith who can occupy opposing blockers and free up some of the attention that would otherwise be headed towards Preston Smith. Finally, you've got Rashawn Gary, who at this point in his career doesn't seem to have much of a plan at all, and that was a big knock on him coming out of the University of Michigan. Doesn't seem to have a plan as a pass rusher. Really just an athlete in a lot of different ways. He doesn't seem to have many pass rushing moves. He either just tries to run around people or run through people. Both things that can work. But if you know that he's never going to set you up and drop a move on you, you can just identify what he's going to do as a blocker, neutralize it, and he's done. And far too often we saw Rashawn Gary get either swallowed up by pass rushers last year or just gently guided 
up the field and away from the quarterback as he tried to run around opposing tackles and really just ran himself out of the play. If he could develop some sort of counter move, then he might really have something in him as a pass rusher. Would you, I think, fairly hope when you pick a guy 12th overall that he might have some moves to begin with? I think that is a fair criticism of both Rashawn Gary and the Green Bay Packers for taking him 12th overall, but that is a conversation again for a different day. One conversation that we've had quite a bit already, I guess. Secondly, uh, this this is another thing that, that Kerwin brought up that I think the Packers do really well, and really this is all going to be about things the Packers do fairly well. Uh, the line stunt. This is a big reason why you drop guys inside. The stunt. This is a, you, you can sometimes see these referred to as twists or pins, um, but basically this is where you have one pass rusher loop around the other one. Basically, this is pass rushers blocking for each other. Uh, you will see either an end tackle stunt or a tackle end stunt, where the, the end sets up the tackle or the tackle sets up the end. And often you will see the Packers, when they align Zedaria Smith up inside, have the tackle just sort of push his blocker down to where Zedaria Smith started from, and Smith will loop around behind him in a stunt. That is a beautiful thing to see. It's it's fun to watch, and when you know that it could be coming, it's a fun thing to watch for, especially if you read a book like this and know some of the thinking that goes in goes into it. And this is something that I think we're going to see with Rashawn Gary more this year, and this is something my pet actually talked about. They thought they could drop him down inside a little bit more, and this is an opportunity to use a guy like Gary who has great size, who has great athleticism, but may not be super refined as a pass rusher yet. This is where you can let him do those things that he does well, just be a big athletic dude, and he doesn't necessarily have to have those moves. He just has to execute with his teammates, and I think Gary can do that, and I'd like to see what the Packers end up doing here. Kerwin also talked about the fire zone, also called the replace zone sometimes. He explained it pretty well um, in the book, so I won't try to dive into it here. But basically, you're just dropping guys and, and bringing guys in to replace them, confusing the offensive line. The best example of this, of how this can work, actually happened to the Packers. And you have seen this play. It's B.J. Raji's pick six interception in the 2010 NFC Championship game. B.J. Raji is not typically supposed to drop into coverage. However, if you want to confuse an inexperienced passer, say somebody like Caleb Haney, what do you do? You have 337-pound, heavy air quotes there, B.J. Raji, drop into coverage in the middle of the field and just watch Caleb Haney's eyes and see what happens while somebody rushes from where B.J. Raji was just standing. And there's a pretty good chance that an inexperienced passer is not going to be looking for 337-pound B.J. Raji in the middle of the defense. And wouldn't you know it, that is exactly what worked out. That is the prime example of of a zone blitz and how it can work. Finally, Kerwin called out specifically Dom Capers' use of the psycho package. Do you remember this from late 2009 and 2010 when Dom Capers lined up in his psycho package? Just one down lineman, often Cullen Jenkins, uh, during that time, uh, given that he could play a little bit of end and a little bit of tackle in the 3-4 defense. 
But I bring this up not because the cycle was that interesting, but because it's a great example of how a, a, a zone blitz can work. And it kind of dovetails nicely with what the Packers do today. Because Mike Pettin's kind of preferred defense now is almost a permanent psycho package. What do we see from, from Mike Pettin a lot of the time? We see two defensive linemen, often Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, two linebackers, Preston and Zedarius Smith, one hybrid safety often, or Blake Martinez, probably now a hybrid safety, and then six defensive backs. That's a dime package by the numbers, but really it's just an excuse to run fire zone with really athletic personnel. You've got just your two defensive linemen on there. Where are they going to rush from? Well, you can probably identify that pretty well. Your two edge-type linebackers, where are they going to rush from? Well, you can move them around and do a lot of different things. Maybe Zadarius Smith is a tackle on this play. Maybe he's standing up in the A-gap. Maybe he's standing up by the offensive tackle. Then you've got your safety tweener type. They can run around and do a lot of different different things. Then you've got your six defensive backs. There's a lot more athleticism on the field. That's a pretty good package to have out there. Of course, you run into the problem of not being able to defend the run particularly well. Ask how that went against the San Francisco 49ers, but it's a trade-off there. You can do some really devastating things against the pass, and it's kind of all in the lineage of that zone blitz, which has deep, deep strategic roots in the NFL. It's a very, very interesting thing. There's very, very interesting things that happen on defense every single play, And this chapter really spoke to a lot of the little chess games that go on. It's one-on-one matchups. It's players working together like on a stunt. It's where you just line guys up on defense. It's how many guys of a certain position you have on the field and how you use them. Do you have them play those traditional roles? Do you have them rush in unusual ways? It's all part of that chess match. And that's part of what I think makes football so interesting and so worth learning more about. And I hope shows like this one help you learn more about the sport. So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you taking the time to listen in. I hope you're doing well wherever you are. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and you know somebody else who might enjoy it, go ahead and share it with them. We want to continue to grow this conversation around the Green Bay Packers because, as I always say, that's the best way to help everybody um, continue to, to learn more about this game and this team that we we love so much. And doing so is going to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. And I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.